0: Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 1 through 17 is where we're going to get started. Hopefully, we'll get as far as verse 32 tonight. It says, In the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Is it to inquire of me that you come? As I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Let them know the abominations of their fathers and say to them, Thus says the Lord the Lord God, On the day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands." And I said to them, Cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on, every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my statutes and made known to them my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules, by which if a person does them he shall live. And my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. Then I said, I will pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make a full end of them. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations, in whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land that I had given them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands." because they rejected my rules and did not walk in my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths. For their heart went after their idols. Nevertheless, my, I spared them, and I did not destroy them or make a full end of them in the wilderness. Now, as we started tonight, and I read to you verses uh, 1 through 3, did anybody think, well, this sounds familiar? Did anybody have that thought? Actually, if you were with us, Go back to chapter 14. You'll see that chapter 20 reads almost identical to the beginning of chapter 14. In chapter 14, it says in verse 1, Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man. These men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? This is another instance where the leaders of Israel come before uh, Ezekiel in, uh, in his house where he's at there in captivity in Babylon, and they want to inquire of the Lord. This is happening according to the timing given us in those first verses in the year 591 B.C. Remember in 597 is when he was taken and they were taken captive with the 10,000 folks and in Jehoiachin into Babylon. Seven years later now, this, that's the date they always use to measure from. This is 591 B.C. is when this is happening, just a few years before the final attack on Jerusalem and their destruction in 586. It'll start in 588 and finish in 586. And the certain elders of Israel were coming to inquire of the Lord. In other words, they were saying, what's God saying about our future? We've been in captivity for seven years. What's God saying about our captivity? What's, what's God saying about our future? And God's response is this. Why are they asking what I have to say? It doesn't matter. They don't listen. I have, and, he, and throughout this chapter, you see him recount their history. I did this when they were Egypt. They didn't listen. I did this and bring them into wilderness. But they didn't listen. I talked to their children, as you're going to see in a little bit. They didn't listen. And you're, they're in this situation because they've never listened to me. Now, all of a sudden, they want to know what I have to say. And some of you as parents have probably had the same kind of a thought. You know, <laughs> Why are you asking? Do you really want to do what I have to say? Or are you just trying to weigh in whether or not you think my opinion might be listened to? And so what I want to deal with just briefly tonight is I want to show you from Scripture that God actually is the same way with us. I've seen a pattern in the Scriptures that whenever we come to God with anything, whenever we want to come to him with a request or a concern or a thought or a question, he will not immediately answer the question, but he'll deal more with the attitude of our heart and our motive for why we're coming. Then he'll get into the request in that. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Don't just take it for for granted. Go to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, look at verses 22 through 27. Now, to set the stage, he's already had the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, this is after he's sent the disciples off in the boat. He's already gone up on the mountain to pray. He's already come down walked on the water. They're on the other side. And verse 22 says, The next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went into Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. In other words, they realized, you know, the disciples went off in the boat. Jesus went up on a mountain, but now the next day they realize he's not here. So they head around the lake to go. And when they get there, they say, Jesus, how'd you get here? What are you doing here? And he goes, I actually know really why you're looking for me. You're not looking for me because you saw the signs and you think I'm the Messiah. You're looking for me because when I was on the other side of the lake, I fed you. And you're hoping I'll feed you again. That was the real motive for why they were doing what they were doing. You're in John 6. Go to John chapter 18. Look at verses 33 and 34. Jesus is standing before Pilate. John chapter 18, verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again, and he called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this on, of your own accord, or did others say, to, say it to you about me? In other words, why are you asking this question? Are you asking, am I the king of the Jews because you think you may believe that I'm the one? Or are you just using that term because other people have used the term in your presence? In other words, why are you really asking this, Pilate? And so, folks, I want you to see, and I'll show you another example from Scripture. When we come before God, don't be surprised that the first thing he deals with is why we're coming. Because he's the one who knows the real reasons, the attitudes, the reasons why we're... We, we a lot of times, can fool ourselves even into saying that our motives are pure. But he truly knows motives and purity of motives. Uh, Let me show you what I mean. You're in the Gospel of John. Back up to chapter 2. Look at verses 23 through 25. It says, Now when he, this is meaning Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. They believed in his name, yet he didn't entrust himself to them. Why? Because you remember the parable of the soils? How the seed falls on the rocky soil and springs up, but it wasn't real faith, it wasn't real belief. It was a temporary belief that wasn't real. And when trouble came, they went away. Just like we saw in John chapter 6. If you were to go on in John chapter 6, Jesus said to his disciples, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Upon hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. And they went away, stopped, no longer followed Jesus. And in this situation here, he knew, even though they believed, they didn't really believe. And so he didn't seal the deal. And what does the scripture say? Because he knew what was in man. He knew the heart of man. Go to James chapter 4. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3. Again, speaking to Christians in this passage here now, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, but then you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In other words, he says, sometimes you ask for stuff and and you don't get it. Why? Because you ask with the wrong motive. If you knew your child was going to use something. That you were going to give them for the wrong purposes. Most likely you wouldn't give it to them if they asked, correct? because you knew it's not good for them to get it. But if you knew that their purpose was good, and what they're going to do with it was good, you probably would say, yes, listen closely. When God says to Ezekiel, why are they inquiring of me? They haven't listened. He's really dealing with the real attitude of their hearts. And so instead of them, they came to Ezekiel, and they said, hey, what's God got to say? What's happening next for us? How long are we going to be in this captivity? What's, What's the word from the Lord? The word from the Lord was, all your life you've never really listened to me, so why are you asking now? What's really your real reason you want? Is it because you want to know what I have to say and obey me? Or is it you're just curious and just add this to one of your many things that you put into whether or not you make the decision for yourself? We're not going to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, you remember Jesus said this. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He knows the attitude of our hearts. Now, as you're going to see as we close tonight, just like God is disciplining and shaping the people of Israel in this process, and we're going to get into it in much detail tonight as we close, as his children as well, he deals with us. Now, be reminded all the way through, he loves you. He's already proven it. He's already sent his son to die for you. He's forgiven all your sins. Everything he does with you from now on is for your best and it's out of his hand of love. His wrath has been removed. It's gonna be unpleasant at times because what he's really gonna do is he's trying to conform you into the image of Jesus. Hasn't he predestined to do that according to Romans? He's predestined to conform us into the image of his son. Well, in doing so, even though we're forgiven, even though we're pure in the eyes of God and holy and righteous, we would all acknowledge that we still got some rough edges, don't we? We still struggle with this flesh. Every day our flesh gets up and we wanna live for self. In that process, as you walk with the Lord, He's going to sometimes bring out your real heart. And you're not going to like it. And you're going to think, well, he's mad at me. No. He's known that. He's wanting you to see it so that you can acknowledge it and let him begin to take you where he wants you to be. He knows what's really going on, and that's what I want you to grasp. So now, he go back to Ezekiel 20. Ezekiel uh, God recounts their rebellious history as a nation. So I'm not going to take the time to reread these verses, but in verses 4 through 11, let me give you a summary. In verses 4 through 11, he tells about how they worshipped idols in Egypt and how God wanted to utterly destroy them there because of it, but he refrained from totally annihilating them. Why? Because of his own glory. Remember, he had already made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if he had totally wiped them all out, Those promises would never have been kept. He would have been a God who broke his promise. It would look bad for him. So the only reason is because of his promise that he has kept them going. Now, in verses 12 through 17, he brought them out into the wilderness to teach them to walk with him and to trust completely in him. All right, now let me just stop and just deal with that for a second. Think about it for a minute. Let this sink in. He had made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And because of God's orchestrating things, they ended up having to move to Egypt. And then once they're in Egypt, they become slaves. While they're there, they're worshiping idols and all this stuff. And then God does this amazing thing through Moses, where he preserves Moses and has Moses grow up in Pharaoh's household. But then at a certain time, he brings Moses back to lead them out. But why were they to go out? You remember Moses was telling Pharaoh every time God wants me to tell you to let my people go so they may come and what worship me. He was pulling them out to himself so that they would leave the idols in Egypt, leave all that stuff and come be alone and worship him. Where did he bring them? Into the desert, into the wilderness. Oh, he had a promise. I'm going to bring you out of here and I'm going to bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey. We've already read earlier tonight how he said to them, it was a land that I had searched out. I mean, I, I had I'd done my work ahead of time. I'd done my reconnaissance I, as a place that I knew was going to be awesome. But he didn't bring them straight there. If you were to go back to Exodus chapter 13, you would see that he tells them, he says, look, I could have taken you the short route to the promised land, but you would have had to go through Philistine country. And you would have had to face war right away, and you weren't ready to face war, and you would have said, let's go back to Egypt. By the way, does God know his kids or what? Because even though he brought them into the wilderness where they couldn't find their way back, what did they still say? Let's go back to Egypt. But why, if God said, Do, I want to bring you out and bring you to myself where you can worship me alone, Why did he lead them to a place where there was no food and no water? He wanted them to be dependent on him, which they wouldn't be if they went directly to the promised land. Exactly. Did you catch that? Did you hear what Glenn said? He wanted them to be dependent on him alone, which they wouldn't have been if he'd brought them directly to the promised land. He was showing them, teaching them how to rest in him and his provision, because that's important, because not only did he say, that he brought them into the wilderness so that they would trust completely in him. Look at verse 12. When they were in the wilderness, he gave them, it says verse verse 12 of chapter 20, moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. You're going to notice as we keep reading later on throughout this whole chapter, God keeps saying two main things. They profaned my Sabbaths and I wanted to utterly destroy them, but I didn't. When they're in Egypt, I wanted to destroy them, but I didn't. When they're in the wilderness, I gave them my Sabbath, and I wanted to destroy them because they profaned my Sabbath, but I didn't. Then, as you're going to see in the verses following, I to- talked to their children. They didn't listen. They profaned my Sabbaths, but I didn't destroy them either, and so on. So what we're going to do tonight is I'm going to chase a rabbit. I've taught you before. I don't like chasing rabbits, but there's reasons why you should be allowed to chase a rabbit. Remember, if you can catch it, and if you catch it, it tastes good. Well, we're going to chase a rabbit tonight that you can catch, and it's going to taste awesome. I want to take you on a, on a pretty in-depth study of this whole Sabbath thing. You're probably going to see some things that may surprise you, because there's been a lot of misunderstanding. There are denominations that are built on the misunderstanding of the Sabbath, And so what I want to do is take you back and take you on an in-depth study of the Sabbath thing. And by doing that, then we can then go back to the passage in Ezekiel and really understand what he's talking about when he kept saying, they profane my Sabbath, they profane my Sabbaths. Because if you have a misunderstanding of what the Sabbaths are all about, you will misinterpret what he means by when he says they profane my Sabbaths. All right. So let's go to the very first place in the Bible that a Sabbath is ever mentioned. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 3. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now let me ask you a quick question. Did God rest because he was tired? No. So the rest must be having to do with something besides being tired. Okay? Keep that in mind. God rested from his work. He didn't do any work that next day. By the way, the Bible says that Jesus said himself in John chapter 5, my father's always at his work to this very day. There are Some people say that God rested and he, he was all done at that point. No, 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 no. He was continually working. He's at work now. The Spirit of God is at work in the world. God's always working, and Jesus was working with him when he was on the earth. And Jesus is working now, interceding on our behalf. God's always at his work. But at this point, some of you would say, well, Jim, it doesn't say Sabbath. Actually, if you'll trust me, I'm going to show you a little bit later that the Scripture tells us that this is a Sabbath. But you wouldn't know that until we get there. Now, if I were to ask you, when is the next time in the Bible that God mentions a Sabbath When do you think it is? I'm sorry? In the Ten Commandments, good guess, but no. But you're close. Actually, the next time you even see a Sabbath mentioned in the Bible is 2,500 years after this, in the wilderness, we had a clue from our study tonight, remember? He said to us in Ezekiel chapter 20, I brought them out of Egypt, I brought them into the wilderness, and I gave them my Sabbaths. So it was during the wilderness period that he gives them the Sabbath. And we, I've also thought the same thing. I thought it was at the Ten Commandments that they gave the Sabbath. But you're going to see that's not it. Go to Exodus chapter 16. There's actually the teaching and the giving of the Sabbath is before the Ten Commandments. Very good. I heard you back there. The manna. Chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 22 through 30. Now, if you remember, kind of catch up to speed with where we're going to be. In Exodus 16, we see the story of the man in the wilderness, and they had been given specific instructions. They were to go out every morning and they were to gather enough for that day. They weren't allowed to gather for tomorrow. What happened to anything that they tried to stave over for the next day? It rotted. spoiled worms. I mean, it just, in one day, it rotted immediately. So in chapter 16, look at verse 22. He says, But on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, because God told them to, two omers each, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. "'Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept until the morning.' So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it didn't stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, "'Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be more.' on the seventh day. So the, the first time that the nation of Israel sees the Sabbath is in the wilderness and it's in the feeding of the manna. We hopefully understand who the manna represented. It was very clearly that he's the bread from heaven. But they were told, every day you go just gather enough for that one day. You'll get some more tomorrow, there'll be plenty. Don't store up stuff for tomorrow. Trust me for each day, I'll give you what you need for each day. And didn't Jesus even teach us in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread? And how many of us are worried about whether or not our IRA is going to last? How many of us are worried about whether or not, you know, we're going to have enough down the road? When you find yourself worrying about the future, folks, God has promised to meet all of your needs. But let me tell you something he's taught me over the years. He won't give you grace for tomorrow. He'll give you grace for each day. When you find yourself worrying about tomorrow, what did he say about doing that? No, don't worry about tomorrow. I got tomorrow, too. He's teaching us to rest to trust in him but the first time that the nation of Israel sees the sabbath is here in the wilderness in the feeding of the with the manna now go to chapter 20 and you'll see the next time it's mentioned and a word that has been there all along is going to make a whole lot more sense now in chapter 20 look at verses uh, 8 through 11 what's the first word now in chapter 20 verse 8 remember the sabbath Isn't that interesting? I had never, until I did this study, I didn't know that the Sabbath had already been given to them prior to the Ten Commandments, but it had been given to them in the feeding of the manna. And now he says to them, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, "'but on the seventh day it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. "'On it you shall not do any work, "'you or your son or your daughter or your male servant "'or your female servant or your livestock "'or the sojourner who's within your gates.' For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Do you see now why I can tell you that Genesis chapter 2 was the first Sabbath? Because Exodus chapter 20 tells us that Genesis chapter 2 was the first Sabbath because it's, the scripture tells us that. So... Let's stick with what we are being taught right now, not what we've. This is hard for us because many of us have probably raised that Sunday was the Sabbath day, and you weren't allowed to do any work, and you weren't allowed to. Anybody else raised that way? It's not what the Scripture taught at all, and I'm going to show you clearly as we go into this some more. All right. So, what do we know right now about the Sabbath from the Scriptures? What do we know? God gave it as a gift, and it was the day they were to what rest. That's it. They were to remember it, and they were to keep it, but they were to rest. That's it. Now, that's very important, by the way, because actually, many of us were taught that that was a day to worship. The Sabbath day was a day of worship. But scripturally, that wasn't the case. And actually, if you want to do a really in-depth study, which we don't have time to get into, you'll find that actually, only like three or four times in the whole year of the Jewish calendar was a Sabbath day, a day of solemn worship, a certain the worship on a feast day. Most of the Sabbaths weren't worship days. They were just days that they were to rest. What was he teaching them? I want you to trust that I'm going to provide for you. So don't work on that day. I'll take care of you. Now, it's pointing to something else. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. Go to Mark chapter 2. You see, the Jews, unfortunately, especially the Jewish leaders, they heard God say, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, and they came up with all these laws and rules and regulations as to how to keep it holy and what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. And if you ever want to do a fun and kind of crazy study, you'll see, if you just go Google it, you'll find some of the Sabbath laws were, were nuts. And actually, in Israel today, some very, very devout Jews who still don't get it, will not, well, let me just put it to you this way. On Friday night, they'll tear enough sheets of toilet paper to cover what they're going to need on Saturday. Because in their minds, it's a work to even tear a piece of toilet paper. You're not even allowed to tear a piece of toilet paper. So Friday night, they literally, religiously, will tear, probably doing the math with how much they've eaten, I don't know, but they, they tear toilet paper sheets and stack them up so that when they go to the bathroom on Saturday, they don't tear because that would be working. Of course, they totally missed the whole point of what the Sabbath is about, but that's what happens. But in Mark chapter two, look at verses 23 through 28. It says, one Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, before we go any further, I gotta show you something that's really kind of silly and funny here that jumps out of me from this. First off, It's a Sabbath day, the day of rest. They're just walking through a grain field, somebody's grain field. They're just walking through a field. The the disciples are a little bit hungry, so they just take a head of grain, pinch it off, probably rolled it in their hands to separate the wheat from the chaff, and blew away the chaff, and ate the grain. As they're walking through the grain fields, imagine yourself walking through the grain field. Who happens to be there? The Pharisees are walking through the grain field with them. It's kind of crazy. But they're walking around, trying to watch him, see what he's doing, tripping up, see if we can catch him tripping up. And they thought, we got him now. Which is against their own laws. They weren't supposed to walk more than a certain number of people. Against their own laws. Exactly. On their, their own laws, they only walked so many steps, but they're just following around. Here's the thing, though. In their minds, the disciples have just broke the Sabbath because you aren't allowed to work. And they harvested They threshed. That's working. Look at what Jesus' response is. Verse 25, And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone, but for only the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him, and then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus says, you, you, you guys, you're, you get all upset for the fact that they ate some grain on the Sabbath. You think they've broken your laws. Do you not remember how I told you that this bread of the presence was only to be eaten by the priest that was in the temple? But if you remember back in the time when David was and his men were running from Saul and they were hiding... And they were really hungry. They went to the temple and they asked Abiathar, the high priest, to give them the bread of the presence. And he gave it to them and they ate it and their disciples. I never said they got in trouble for that. And then he makes an interesting statement. He said the Sabbath was made for man. It's a gift to man, not man to meet the Sabbath regulations. It wasn't that Sabbath is made and now man has to meet the Sabbath regulations, which is how we've always seen it. The Sabbath was made for man. It was a gift for man. Go over to Exodus 31, and you'll see God clarify even more the purpose of the Sabbath. Exodus 31, look at verses 12 through 17. Exodus 31, starting in verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord, that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that what we saw in Ezekiel 20? I gave them my Sabbath as a sign between me and them that they may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. That's important. We'll come back to that. He said, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. That in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. All right. So now we get a little more information. What we just saw earlier in Exodus, sorry, Ezekiel chapter 20, he said, I gave them the Sabbaths as a sign between me and who? Israel, me and the Jews. If it's to be a sign between God and everybody, and it's not a special sign. It's a sign between God and the Jews. And it's to be a sign that shows that he's the Lord who what? Sanctifies them. That's interesting. How is that tied to sanctification? We'll get, it in a, get to it in a little bit. But he said, I want you to work for six days and take this seventh day as a day of rest. Do nothing. And it's a sign that I'm the God who sanctifies you. Now, sets you apart, makes you holy. It's a very important thing. Now, this was never to be a sign between God and the church. Never, ever, ever. I'm going to show you two passages of Scripture to show you what I mean. Go to Colossians chapter 2. In all my years of growing up in legalistic churches that taught that we had to keep the Sabbath, because Sunday was the Sabbath, And then there's arguments over is Sunday the Sabbath or is Saturday the Sabbath? You know what I'm saying? Have you ever heard Christians argue over that? How come nobody ever preached on Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17? It can't be any more clear. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon. Or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, that's another interesting tip now that we can go as we get into a study of the Sabbath. It's very important that we understand this. The Sabbath was pointing to Christ, it's a sign between God and Israel that He's the Lord who sanctifies them. And now we see that it points to Jesus and the church was not to be judged on whether or not they kept a Sabbath because the reality has been found in Christ. And if we're in Christ, the Sabbath regulations have already been met through Christ. Therefore, we're not to have been judged on whether or not we kept a Sabbath. But let me show you another verse from that as well. Go to Romans chapter 14 and we are going to look at verse 5. Paul's dealing in chapter 14 of Romans with Christians who are fighting with each other over whether or not you should eat meat sacrificed to idols and whether or not eating vegetables or or meat and all this kind of stuff. And look at what it says in chapter 14. We'll start in verse 4. In chapter 14, verse 4, he says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And in verse 5, he says, "'One person esteems one day is better than another, "'while another esteems all days alike. "'Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. "'The one who observes the day, "'observes it in honor of the Lord. "'The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, "'since he gives thanks to God, "'while the one who abstains, "'abstains in honor of the Lord, "'and gives thanks to God.'" For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we're the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord, both of the dead and of the living. And he goes on and keeps saying, why are you passing judgment on your brother? But look at what he says. He says, some of you are going to consider every day as the same. Some of you are going to think one day is more special than another. Each needs to be fully convinced in their own mind. Why is it okay for some people to think that there's no such thing as a Sabbath day? Because I had people come up to me after I taught this last night and say, well, doesn't the Ten Commandments say that you're to keep a Sabbath day? Yes, but actually, I keep a Sabbath every day because I know what the Sabbath is pointing to. What did God rest from? He rested from his work, and he set a time. I'll give you a little hint there. He set a time or a day when you can rest from having to work so that God would sanctify you. Is that not all the pieces that have come together? God set a day or he set a time in which there will be a time that the provision for you will be made so that you no longer have to work, but you can rest and receive sanctification given to you from God they, as the Israelites, were to have a special day, which was pointing to Christ. But once you come to faith in Christ, you're no longer obligated to keep that day. Why? Because the reality has been found. And if you're not quite sure what I'm talking about, let's go to Hebrews chapter 3 into chapter 4. And all the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament except the Sabbath. I'm sorry? They're all even the Sabbath is repeated. Well, and, and actually, yes, you're still keeping the Sabbath. Are you resting in, in Christ for your salvation? Then you're keeping the Sabbath. Listen closely. We hear the word day and we're thinking that number day of the week. The word day also means time period. The Sabbath, there was a Sabbath day, but that Sabbath day was pointing to a Sabbath time period. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we rest, I'm no longer trying to earn my way to heaven, folks. I used to think I had to be good enough. I don't anymore. I've ceased working, and I'm totally trusting in God to provide for me. And therefore, I am keeping the Sabbath. I keep it every day. Every day I wake up and say, thank you, Lord, for my salvation. I'm honoring the Sabbath Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. By the way, some of you might say, I still think we need to have a special day. What did Paul say in Romans 14? Knock yourself out. (laughs) Go for it. Don't look down on the people that don't and those of you that feel free enough not to have a special day. Don't judge those who do. The same Lord is Lord of all of us. And if it makes some of you feel better to have a special day that you rest, go for it. But we aren't to judge each other because we're no longer to let anybody pass judgment on whether or not we keep a Sabbath. The reality has been found in Christ. I don't know about you. I found that I'm pretty good at resting a lot throughout the week, not just one day. I like naps. I like to, I've learned how to not work and then play. I've learned how to mix my play in with my work. And I have learned to rest. And I've enjoyed walking with the Lord. And you, you work, but it's fun for you, isn't it? When you're out there on the, on the airboat your job, but it's also, you love it. When you're taking people hunting and doing your guide work that you'll be paid for, it's your income, it feels like play to you, doesn't it? That's the whole point. When we rest in Christ, all of life is a Sabbath. It's a rest. And that's what it was pointing to. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Now, in Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7, the Hebrew writer says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says... Today, this was written in the book of Psalms, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation, and I said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. We hear that, and we think he was talking about the promised land. But as the Hebrew writer is about to point out, if years after, hundreds of years after the promised land, David writes, today, as an offer of rest, that means it's still being offered, correct? So the rest must not have been talking about the promised land, must be talking about something else. That's what he goes on and says. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he, God, provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. It wasn't their disobedience is why they were unable to enter. Their disobedience was evidence of their unbelief. In other words, the reason they didn't do what he said was they didn't believe that what he said was right or best. They weren't unable to enter the rest because of disobedience. They were unable to enter the rest because of what? Unbelief. Now keep reading into verse four, chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them... But the message they heard did not benefit them because they weren't united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my oath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he is somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. By the way, for those that struggle with remembering exactly where something is, The Hebrew writer says it's written somewhere, and he quoted from where? Genesis chapter 2. Isn't that awesome? The Hebrew writer, the one God used to write the scripture, says it's written somewhere, and he quotes from Genesis chapter 2. This since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning to the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Did you see it? Look again at verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his How do you observe the Sabbath now as a believer in Jesus Christ? You stop trying to work for salvation. You receive it by faith and you just rest in the fact that you have been given sanctification. Remember, it was a sign between God and Israel so they would know that he is the Lord who sanctifies them. What have we done? Same thing the Pharisees did. We turned the Sabbath day and the Ten Commandments into a, you got to honor a certain day. That's not what the passage all through the scriptures have been telling us all along. When God kept saying to them, they profaned my Sabbath, he wasn't saying they worked on the Sabbath. They missed the whole point of the Sabbath. What was it pointing to? God would provide and sanctify them. And it's resting from our work to get to heaven. I still deal with too many people today around the country that I ask them, if you died, would you go to heaven? They always say, yeah, and I'd say, why? And they say, because I believe in Jesus, and I'm trying to live a good life. Has that person entered into his rest, or are they still trying to work? I can look you in the eye and say, if I died today, I'm going to heaven. You know how I know? Because Jesus has taken care of it all. I don't try to earn my salvation anymore. It's been taken care of. I received it, and I am honoring and remembering the Sabbath every day, hopefully, of my life. Now, if some of you feel better to take a day where you consider it a Sabbath day, do it. But don't think that everybody else needs to do it too. You understand? We're all walking with the Lord and He's to lead us and guide us. Now, let's get back to Ezekiel chapter 20 because we've got 15 minutes to get the rest of it done. Any questions, by the way, along that line that you might want to ask because we're done chasing the rabbit. Hopefully it tasted good. I liked it. <laughs> Let's hear it. He, prior to 1128, he's talking about woe to those who thought that they could, that they thought they were getting where they needed to be, except taking, but not by taking on Christ. Exactly. All who are weary and heavy laden. Let me give you rest. Yes. Yes. Definitely it. Definitely it. That's the rest. All the way through the scripture, he will give you rest, salvation. Now, as you know, for those of us who enter that rest, there's work. But hopefully you're not working in order to be pleasing and earning salvation. You're working and resting at the same time because you've entered that rest. Exactly. I'm glad you brought that out. The rest day is a time period that was available in Christ, and all who have received Jesus as Savior has entered that rest. Why did those people in the wilderness not enter? Because of unbelief. Because of unbelief. Chapter 20 of Ezekiel. Look at verses 18 through 32. Go ahead. They their spiritual condition. By what? By still thinking that they're going to do a Sabbath day, they're showing their, their spiritual condition. Yes. But at the same time as you're going to see, during the Millennial Kingdom, he still wants them to do that because it's a way of showing their rest in him. We're revoking it all the time, so. They were, Yeah. They they were provoking him in lots of ways, by not listening to him, by working, by doing all that stuff. They provoked him. We saw in the story in Ezekiel, uh, sorry, uh, Exodus sixteen, where he had told them, "Don't go collect any tomorrow. There'll be enough on the day before." And they went out the next day to go collect it, and he got mad and he said, "When are you going to listen? When are they going to listen?" Yep, Ezekiel twenty verses eighteen through thirty two. So then I said to their children. Remember, the parents weren't allowed to go into the, into the promised land. And I said to their children in the wilderness, do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor keep their rules, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And keep my Sabbaths holy, that they may be a sign between me and you, and that you may know that I am the Lord your God. But the children rebelled against me. They didn't walk in my statutes and were not careful to obey my rules, by which if a person does them he shall live. They profaned my Sabbaths. Then I said, I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the wilderness. But I withheld my hand and acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them through the countries, because they had not obeyed my rules, but had rejected my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths. And their eyes were set on their fathers' idols. Moreover, I gave them statutes that were not good and rules by which they could not have life, "'And I defiled them through their very gifts "'and their offering up all their firstborn, "'that I might devastate them. "'I did it that they might know that I am the Lord. "'Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel "'and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, "'In this also your fathers blasphemed me "'by dealing treacherously with me. "'For when I had brought them into the land "'that I swore to give them, Then wherever they saw any high hill or any leafy tree, there they offered their sacrifices, and there they presented the provocation of their offering. There they sent up their pleasing aromas, and there they poured out their drink offerings. I said to them, what is the high place to which you go? So its name is called Bama, which means high place, by the way, to this day. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, will you defile yourselves after the manner of your fathers and go whoring after detestable things? When you present your gifts and offer up your children in fire, you defile yourselves with all your idols to this day. And shall I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel? As I live, declares the Lord, uh, Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. What is in your mind shall never happen. The thought, let us be like the nations, like the tribes of the countries, and worship wood and stone. Now let me just tell you, Before I break down the last section that we have here that I've just read, I can't wait till next week. Because next week in verse 33, you're going to see God say, as I live, remember what he's just said, this will never happen. You have this thought that you want to be like all the other nations around you. I'm not going to let it happen. And he says in verse 33 and following, and I can't wait to get to it. It gets into the detail. He says, I'm going to, with a strong arm, and wrath I'm gonna take the Jews and I'm gonna make them obey me I'm gonna make them worship me we know when that's gonna happen by the end of the tribulation period when he's gonna do it but he says listen closely and I want you to hear because he's speaking to us as we close tonight I will not let you live like the world I won't, I'm not gonna let that happen so To get to where we need to close, let me just give you a little summation of the verses like I just did. Verses 18 through 24, God says He spoke to the children of the parents in the wilderness, telling them not to follow the idols of their fathers, but they did just as their parents had done. And again, God once again kept them from a deserved utter destruction or annihilation, but He told them that they would be scattered and exiled from the land because of their disobedience. And of course, as you know, that's what they're experiencing right now uh, in this time period that we're studying here in Ezekiel. In verses 25 through 32, he says some very interesting things. He says, So I gave them statutes that weren't good and rules by which they couldn't have life. So what it means is this. God let them do all that was involved in worshiping their idols so they would see that he was God and that he was right. He wasn't a God who would make them offer up their firstborn children, even though they did all that that their idols requested. What happened to them? Even though they worshiped the idols, did everything their idols said they had to do. They offered their firstborn children in the fire, and and they did all this stuff, and they worshiped the idols. By the way, what happened? Were they blessed because of it? No. In other words, what he said was, they kept wanting to not listen to me and do this other stuff, so there came a point where I just let them. I gave them statutes and rules they couldn't live by I let them do all that stuff and they ended up in no crops famine drought you know why they ended up in famine and drought I'm sorry yep because of disobedience and I'm going to show you from Hosea go to Hosea chapter 2 because God then said (laughs) I'll tell you what I'll let your your gods that you worship and take care of you. I'll stop taking care of you. Even all this time that they were thinking that their gods were doing it, it was God himself who was providing for them. Do you remember in the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal? And he let them call out to their god, Baal, to rain down fire. And for hours they cut themselves and danced and all that stuff. What happened? Nothing. In other words, God said, you really want to worship them and let them take care of you? I've been taking care of you all along throughout this whole time, and you've been given Baal credit. I'm not gonna take care of you anymore. I'm gonna let you get what you want. And you're gonna find out that I'm the Lord, because now all the stuff that I was doing for you that you thought Baal was doing, I'm gonna stop doing it so you can find out what Baal, Baal really can do. In Hosea chapter two, I'll read it fast, verses one through 13. "'Say to your brothers, you're you're my people, and to your sisters you have received mercy. "'Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I'm not her husband.'" Remember, he had divorced Israel because of her sin. "'That she put away her whoring from her face, and her adultery from between her breasts. "'Thus I strip her naked, and make her as the day in which she was born, "'and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst.'" Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore, she's conceived. who has conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me bread and my water, my wool and my flax and my oil and my drink. Therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her, so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but she shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, which is God." For it was better for me than now. And she didn't know that it was I who gave her the grain and the wine and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time, and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. And he just goes on. No, folks, do you see what he said? All this time, I was taking care of them. Remember how in the wilderness, Deuteronomy chapter 8, God says to him in verses 1 through 5, remember all these years how the Lord your God led you in the wilderness? He caused you to hunger. He made you thirsty. But he did it to humble you, to teach you. And then he says this, but your foot never swelled all these 40 years. Your clothes never wore out. I was taking care of you the whole time. But there comes a point sometimes when we start resting in our own provision that God takes his hand off. And one of the things I do is I travel the country and I go to churches that are struggling and I take them back to the God of the word and the word. I have to preach a message to them and show them that in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus said, al- we always see the feeding of the 5,000 as a story by itself. But it's actually a reteaching of a previous lesson. Just in the few verses prior to the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus has sent his disciples out two by two to go preach. And what does he tell them? What are they to bring? Nothing. He sends them out on days and weeks and months of travel. He says, no food, no money, no change of clothes. What's he trying to teach them? Dependence. he'll provide. Of course, they don't learn the lesson. They come back and they report to Jesus all that they had done. The very next verse, he says, come, with me, with me, come away with me by yourselves to a desolate place so we can rest. They get in the boat. Crowd sees where they're going. Crowd's all there. Jesus gets off the boat with the disciples. He has compassion. He teaches them, heals them. The disciples come and they say, it's late in the day. Send them away so they can get something to eat. And Jesus says something interesting. He says, you feed them. In other words, you just came back and told me all that you were able to do. I'm going to have a seat here. Knock yourself out. I'm going to have a seat right here. Show me what you can do. Folks, listen to me. In many of our churches today, the Spirit of God is not left. People say, Oh, the Spirit of God has left that church. If there's one believer in that church, the Spirit of God's still there because He doesn't indwell a building, He indwells people. But in many of our churches today, He hasn't left, but He sat down and said, You do it. You got your church manual, you got your bylaws, you got all the way it's supposed to be done, and you don't even consult me anymore. And you've got it all figured out. You make all your decisions on whether or not we can afford it, whether or not it's in the budget, whether or not we can do it. And God just sits back and says, get what you do what you want and you'll find out it doesn't work. When you know what's that? He's yes, he's being grieved. He's very grieved because he wants to bless. He wants to do awesome things on our behalf. Folks, listen to me. your God is a jealous God. Now for the sake of time, I'm going to give you some scriptures to go look at, but I want to just kind of close tonight. There were two main things that kept coming through this whole section we've looked at. They profaned my Sabbaths. In other words, they didn't rest in me. And I wanted to wipe them out, but I didn't. Why did he not wipe them out? We've already said it. Because of his great name, and it wouldn't look good for him if he didn't keep his word. What has he promised to every one of us who are his children through faith in Jesus Christ? He will never what? Never leave you nor forsake you. Never. Never. So as I share with you what I want to share with you in the few minutes we have left, I want you to be reminded of this. He's not mad at you. He loves you. He's proven his love for you in the fact that he sent his son to die for you when you were his enemy. How much more now will you receive his love? But his love sometimes is not pleasant because he's shaping and disciplining. Why? Because he is a jealous God. He wants you to rest in him, not just for your salvation but in everything. He wants to be who you trust in at all times. He wants to be the God that if you walked out tonight and someone stole your car, your first reaction would be, Lord, they stole your car. Seriously that everything that you have is from him and everything you need will be from him and your reaction is, I don't need to worry because my God will supply and he will take care and when you rest in him, that's what he wants. By the way, is that our natural reaction? Our natural reaction is to live for self, to figure out how we're going to fix it, how we're going to do it and he's going to, because he's a jealous God, walk you through a process of teaching you how Oh, he might lead you into a wilderness. He might lead you into a wilderness period, but what's the purpose? Teach you. He is the one to depend on. Isn't that what happened to Jesus at the beginning of his ministry? He was led of who? The Spirit into the wilderness. Why? Because even Jesus was given the test. Are you going to accomplish what I've got for you to do, Jesus, in your own strength? Or are you going to rest in me doing it through you? And if God would lead Jesus through times of testing in wilderness, don't be surprised if he does that with us. So write these scriptures down. I'm going to tell you what they refer to. John chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. John chapter 6, 35 through 40. Jesus clearly says, I will lose none that the Father has given me. One of the most provable, you can't lose your salvation scriptures. There are so many that talk about that, but there's none that trumps Jesus saying, anyone that comes to me, the Father gives me, I will never, ever cast him out. So if you've been given to Jesus, can you lose your salvation? Impossible. Jesus will never cast you out. James chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. We just ended up in verse 3 where it talks about how you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. The very next verse he says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God, and how don't you realize that the spirit that lives within us is jealous when we don't rest in Him? James chapter four, verses four through ten. Hebrews chapter twelve. I already referred to that as what I was talking to you tonight. Hebrews twelve, verses five through eleven, which talks about how we we need to be reminded of the word of encouragement that addresses us as sons, and not take lightly the Lord's discipline because He disciplines those who He loves and are His children. That's Hebrews twelve, five through eleven. Revelation 3, verse 19, Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke. He corrects us. Why? Because he loves us and it's for our best. I want to read, uh, give you one more verse to to, uh, write down and then I'm going to close with one to read and then we'll be done. Write this one down. Psalm 119, verses 65 through 68. The psalmist there says, before I was corrected, I went astray. But after you corrected me, I found out you're good. Isn't that amazing? Before I was corrected, I went astray. But after you corrected me, I found out you were good. Let's close tonight with Psalm 94, verses 8 through 14. Psalm 94, verses 8 through 14. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from days of trouble. Until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people, he will not abandon his heritage. Folks, I want to encourage you. Why in the world is God even still talking to these people in in Ezekiel's time period who are in the in the wilderness? I'm sorry, in the captivity in Babylon? They have been disobedient their whole life. Why is he even still dealing with them? Because he loves them and he's made a promise. And he's going to keep that promise. And anybody that would enter into the rest that is offered through faith, he'll give it to them. But even though we've entered into his rest, he's still going to deal with us as his children, is he not? So my question to you is this tonight. First off, have you entered into the Sabbath rest of salvation? Have you entered into that rest? You're no longer working for your salvation. And secondly, have you entered into the rest that he gives us every single day? He says, come and learn of me. Come and walk with me. Trust me. Oh, by the way, I'm going to put you in situations that are going to show whether or not you really do. But I do it because I love you, and I want to be everything. I want to be everything. Love you guys. We'll see you next week.